Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman. And today I'm talking with Gabrielle, who's a business and career coach, but she also has a fascinating and inspiring story of when she had leukemia as a very young child and how changing her diet when she was a teenager and a young adult made a huge difference in her weight and especially in her health. We'll get to my chat with Gabrielle in just a minute. And this week's episode is brought to you by the After Sugar Club, which is where you'll get the step-by-step guidance you need from me to help you let go of sugar and the emotional hold it has on you so that you can get to a place of freedom where you don't even need, want or miss it anymore. Check out everything that's included in the After Sugar Club at aftersugarclub.com and click on the green button, join the club. And if you're an intermittent faster, then I have five tips for you to help you get rid of cravings that may be getting in the way of you living your easy and natural intermittent fasting lifestyle. Go to aftersugarclub.com and download my five tips there. And if this is your first time here, welcome. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that it appears magically in your podcast player every Sunday. And if you've listened to several episodes before and you haven't yet left a review, could I ask you to scroll down, please, and rate the podcast and leave a lovely review to tell me how this podcast is helping you in your life after sugar. Has it inspired you to reduce sugar? Has it made you think about sugar a little bit differently? Let me know. I love reading your reviews. Thank you. Okay, so here's my chat with Gabrielle. All right, so today I'm talking with Gabrielle. Welcome, Gabrielle. Whereabouts are you? So I am in Loveland, Colorado. Oh, nice. Okay. And Gabrielle, can you tell us a little bit about your childhood and kind of what your life was like um, when you were younger? So... Long story short, of course, (laughs) we're zooming back over 25 years now. So from the age of two to five, I had leukemia. And as a result, it, it wasn't until my 20s that I started to realize what some of the long term effects, you know, from having chemotherapy, for example, were. And as you know, in a nutshell, my lack of knowledge around nutrition really, really gave, gave me essentially a disservice um, because one of the things that I learned, again, probably when I was, I'm going to say 23, is I had just happened to see an oncologist for just a routine, like a checkup. There was nothing, no concerns. 
And I had mentioned to her that I was really struggling with my weight. And just to put some, some idea of perspective of where I stand along with, for example, my family members is, you know, I think of my dad, he's about 5'10", my mom's about 5'9", my sister's 5'9", my brother's about six foot, mm-hmm. and I'm 5'2". Oh, that's <laughs> that's <laughs> my size. Yeah. It was that to do with your cancer, the fact that you didn't grow? Probably does, because at the end of the day, when we look at when I was going through chemotherapy, I essentially just kind of paused, like people just thought I was a baby. And, you know, when I didn't have my hair and again, since the chemotherapy, it makes your belly real extended. And so I just looked like a miserable baby Mm. all the way until I was five until, you know, that's essentially when it ended. But again, now I was stunned in my growth. It completely messed up my metabolism. It threw off a lot of things. Um, I ended up having a very minor heart murmur from it. Again, didn't know this until I was 15. And again, it was just what's now that I can look back. I could have really benefited, for example, knowing functional nutrition, especially because of my cancer background. And instead I was just following the classic American diet. And so even though it was was already more challenging for me to lose weight, to, you know, stay a certain weight, maintain it. And then of course my diet did not help. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you, you know, we wouldn't have expected you to know about nutrition when you were in chemo, when you were a child, it's not your responsibility as, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but was that, do you feel that your ignorance, you know, through no fault of your own, your ignorance about nutrition, did that come to light more as a young adult? It came to light more in, I would say, my mid-20s, upper 20s. So that's what I mean. It's like, it took me a minute. <laughs> yeah. It didn't happen overnight. I wish it did. Um, I wish that I had known these again when I was in high school. That would have been great. Because of course, once I hit puberty, now everything's really changing. And now it's where before I was really fit, I was incredibly active. So no weight issues. I hit puberty, now I have weight issues. And now I'm continuing to struggle and struggle. Um, And so if I, again, could go back in time, realizing that, for example, the amount of milk I drank was ungodly. How much were you getting through? So as a family of five, we drank about two gallons of milk a day. Wow. Yeah. And so it was incorporated with almost every single meal. Because if you think of when I would wake up at 530, um, because that's when my dad got up before he got to, you know, getting ready for work and he'd make me a hot cocoa. That was like the first thing I was having every single morning, sugar milk and sugar (laughs) because it's like you know we grew up knowing or being told that milk is a healthy drink what's wrong with milk (laughs) exactly exactly and then if I go to school well guess what they have milk there too and it's you know so you have your little carton so I'm just drinking again and what's in most milk a lot of sugar and so I'm constantly having this sugar intake 
And then, like I said, once I got to be about 16, 17, I'm like, whoo, now it's more difficult for me to keep the weight off, but I'm still consuming the same amount of sugar. I'm, I'm not reducing my sugar intake at all. Okay. And was it, in your opinion, was it just the milk or was it other sources of sugar? I was definitely um, an ice cream fan. So, oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I know, I know. So I would, again, I would get off the school bus in elementary school, run out the school bus, go inside. I'd make myself two Pop-Tarts, a glass of milk, and then I'd watch Oprah. <laughs> so it's Oprah's fault. <laughs> After dinner, I would have ice cream. And so it was, again, it was all these sugar and a lot of dairy products, just a ton of dairy products. And my brother, like if we would have, for example, tacos or burritos, whatever it might be, that amount of cheese, he'd always get sick afterwards. And at no point did my parents be like, you know what, maybe we should cut cheese from the diet because it seems like (laughs) every time you know, Adam eats it, he throws up. Oh, that bad. Yeah, exactly. So you're like, those were signs that we are probably consuming too much dairy and we're not addressing it. We're just ignoring it. And it's so strong, especially in American culture, so strong that dairy is good. So it's kind of understandable that your parents didn't question that. Right. It was, again, it Uh, my dad he's Hispanic and so having a lot of Mexican food there's a lot of cheese in it (laughs) spoiler alert (laughs) in in and of itself cheese is not necessarily that bad but for your brother and for you for the um, that just the quantity of milk and dairy you were consuming was it more to do with the quantity or just because you're intolerant to, to dairy as it turns out I can say that when I first started working with a nutritionist, this was again when I was 28, I think. The first thing she told me was, how, how much milk do you drink? And I told her, she's like, that's a lot. <laughs> and so for me, I honestly thought the most difficult thing for me to cut was going to be milk. And after about three months, I no longer craved it. And that was, again, of all the things I'm like, I'm never going to be able to cut, you know, milk completely out of my diet. I'm never going to be able to do that. And it took some time. And there was, of course, days where I'm like, ah, you know, the addiction to it just gets you sometimes. (laughs) Totally. And did you like cut it out completely or did you go gradually? For the most part, I quote unquote, weaned myself off with, for example, almond milk. Okay. Like that was still for me, like, uh, I don't want to walk away <laughs> from mm-hmm. it. Yeah. But after a while, I honestly don't like almond milk. And so it wasn't really a great alternative for me because I didn't enjoy it. And now I've just cut out the almond milk as well. And I don't, since I didn't really like it to begin with, I definitely don't crave it now. And so it was these baby steps of what can I find as a possible, you know, alternate to this? 
but also accepting the fact that if I really have a craving one day, I will have a glass of milk and it's not the end of the world. Okay. All right. So you you're know. able to moderate now, where, whereas you weren't necessarily able to moderate before for milk, I mean? Exactly. So if we just want to look at that specifically now, again, I don't drink it at all. In fact, if someone else has milk, whatever, it actually smells bad to me now. Like I don't even, again, if, and if I take a sip, I'm like, ugh, this, this tastes spoiled. Like it just doesn't even taste good anymore. So again, I would have never guessed that in a million years. If you, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's the same thing with me and sugar and sweet tastes. You know, we're like, I went from the world's number one sweet tooth to actually avoiding sweet tastes now because they don't taste good to me anymore. Isn't that crazy how our tastes change? That is. It's definitely interesting and something to examine. <laughs> Absolutely. And did you feel like, oh, you know, you were saying, oh, never again. I'll never be able to, you know, fill in the blanks, ice cream, milk, you know, hot cocoa. I'll never be able to have those things again. Is that how you saw it at the beginning? I've never really approached it with this. I'll never have it again. I, I guess you could say like way of thinking because I want to be able to be flexible enough where if I do have any of these things, it's again, it's not the end of the world. And the next day I'm going to start over and I'm going to have my, you know, hot water and lemon or, you know, my apple cider vinegar, whatever it is that day. <laughs> and then I'm going to, sometimes I do, for example, like intermittent fasting and I'm just waiting. I'm like, okay, I'm not hungry yet. I'm not hungry yet. I'm like, I'm giving my gut a break. I right. need to give it a break. And just doing again, some of these little things now it, again, it helps with not having those cravings in the first place. Yeah. But if I'm at a party or if I'm out with friends and I want to have, for example, the Kentucky Derby, it's coming up. Oh. If I want to have a mint julep, I'm going to have a mint julep. Sure. Sure. If I'm at a birthday party or something and I want ice cream, I'll probably have ice cream. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm a big proponent of, you know, have what you want. And, you know, underlying that is change what you want. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Change what you want. Um, I mean, just one other example is I really love Caesar salads, but it's like, okay, there's the croutons. There's a couple of things. It's like, okay, well, instead of a crouton, what if I just replace it with walnuts? Okay. That's a baby step to just, again, taking one thing out and replacing it with a healthier alternative, Absolutely. but still having that crunch, still having the texture that I like. Yeah, and so that, that's very open-minded of you because, you know, a lot of people are like, well, if I can't have this, whatever it is, then how am I going to survive? It's like there's no other option, but you found lots of different options. I mean, it's, of course, it's going to be different for every single person. Um, when I'm, if I'm with friends, since I don't drink coffee, for example, they'll all be having their coffee and I'll be having my hot water and lemon <laughs> like how do you survive <laughs> and how do you survive <laughs> well, yeah exactly how do I I don't know it seems it seems to be working <laughs> I'm the same it's like well I don't need this particular thing 
to survive and thrive. It's I survive and thrive independently of what's on my plate or in my cup or whatever. Exactly. And so for me, I've always been a morning person. So waking up, I don't have an alarm. I haven't set an alarm and I couldn't even tell you how long <laughs> because I just, if I want to get up at six, I get up at six. If I want to get up at seven, I'm up at seven. Like, <laughs> And I don't, I've never craved coffee. Um, I think that had a lot to do with the fact that my mom drank coffee like it was going out of style. Uh-huh. And so that smell, I actually, again, just, I hate it. I just hated that constant smell of coffee. It made me sick. (laughs) And so it's, again, it's easy to not get addicted to things when you don't crave it as a child. I find that it's, it's, again, it's the things that we get hooked on as kids that then as adults, we're like, why do I... Why do I still crave a Pop-Tart? Again, I haven't had Pop-Tarts in 15, 20 years, but I, wow, like that's still, it's a childhood memory. Like it's, it's part of growing up. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. And it's a very, very strong sensory memory of, of stuff that we used to eat and love when we were kids, right? Exactly. And so what is, what is all this and, and nutrition have to do with the fact that you had leukemia when you were so, so little? So I guess I probably forgot to mention a little earlier when I saw the oncologist, when I was asking her just questions about, again, me having trouble with weight, my siblings being so much taller than me and having no issues with weight and my parents never having issues with weight. And so her response to me was, again, now that it's been about 20 plus years, (laughs) she's looking at the data coming from, you know, the nineties when we're thinking about when I had it. And she's like, data is coming out showing that adults who had childhood cancers are now growing up and are obese or struggling with obesity, however you want to put it. And so she looked at me, she's like, I don't, I don't think you're obese. I don't think you have that issue. Like, but again, at the time I was doing, I was running probably five days a week. I was doing military fitness. This was when I was in college. Like I was just <laughs> making myself as active as possible. However, it would be so discouraging because if I took, let's just say two weeks off, of working out, let's just say five to six days a week, mm-hmm. I would immediately gain weight. And it was just like, immediately would put like maybe 10 pounds on. And that would just be so discouraging because I'd worked so hard to keep it off. And mm-hmm. I take a little break, a little breather and it, and it comes right back. Straight back on. And had you, if you were taking a break from all that intense exercise, were you changing anything else like in your diet? So again, I was, I was following horrible <laughs> nutrition advice for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I, of course, in my tw- early twenties thought, oh, it's just a calorie intake issue. I'll just really cut back my calories. And instead I was just starving my body. And so I was working out And instead of losing fat, I was losing muscle. And so I wasn't doing myself any favors. 
And again, something that the oncologist had told me is when I asked her, <laughs> how difficult is it going to be for me to essentially maintain my weight? And she just looked at me and she said, very. <laughs> no advice. N like nothing as a solution. Just it's going to be really hard. Yeah. It's like, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. And it's no fault of your own. There's no blame. But there was no conversation of, well, how much milk do you drink? Or, you know, what does your diet look like? And I would tell her, oh, I eat cereal every morning. And then I have a sandwich for lunch. And again, we're just thinking carbs and <laughs> carbs and fat and carbs and fat <laughs> wow. and yeah. sugar. And it wasn't just the milk itself, but what you were eating with the milk. Because if you're eating cereal and sandwiches and whatnot with your milk, you know, at some point, oh, milk's not your only thing. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And so if there was that little conversation at any point saying, well, why don't you try cutting, you know, again, when we think of like an elimination diet, you don't have to eliminate it forever. Right. But it's always good to, for example, like fried eggs. For some women, fried eggs don't sit well with them. For others, it's not a problem. Sure. However, you're not going to know unless you cut it out of your diet for a few weeks. Absolutely. And so, but the oncologist, her um, field of expertise is not nutrition. She, you can't expect her to know about that stuff, surely. I would think that there would at least be the question. Because coming from just, when we think of just functional medicine in general, we're looking at key factors like what is your sleep like? You know, what's your water intake? Again, what are you eating? What's your diet? What's your movement? Like we're just taking the very basic pillars of, of health, you know, health and wellness. Right. And you're able to identify really quickly what essentially the root cause of a lot of you know, chronic illnesses, whatever, whatever you want to, you know, specify what it's coming from. So when I'm coming to her saying, I've struggled with my weight since forever, do you have any suggestions? Her suggestion is you're going to have to continue to work out five to six days a week. And that was it. And so for me, I'm like, wow, that sucks. <laughs> I, I, okay. Like that's, that's the plan. I just have to work out forever. And of course, exercise is important and consistency is the most important. But for a lot of us working out an hour to an hour and a half, six days a week, doesn't always happen. Doesn't. It doesn't. It's not necessarily realistic. On the other hand, cutting a whole load of foods out for some people is also not realistic. Yeah. So where's I, that middle ground? I think... <laughs> For me, and I'll just, I can only speak for myself, <laughs> but I found that the middle ground was, again, cutting out certain things that I knew weren't benefiting me and finding either alter, you know, something to replace it with or just not going back to it at all. But also realizing that Again, consistency is important. So if I can get out and go for, let's just say a three mile 
walk or run every other day, that's good for me. Yeah, that's reasonable. That's yeah. So it's like those things I can do consistently. Can I work out every single day? I've tried. And so far it's not going well. (laughs) I hear you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You got to go with what is doable and sustainable for you. Yes. And so for other people, I always, so for example, we'll go to the coffee example for some of my friends who are like, well, you know, I wake up with headaches or I wake up with brain fog. It's like, then just drink water. Well, no, it's the coffee that helps me. It's the coffee. It's like, if you tried not drinking coffee for again, two weeks and you just woke up and drank water, I'm curious to see if you have different results. Yeah. And if that's the only thing they change in their whole diet, that's good. I mean, it's, it's not expecting other people to make these grand changes and again, expect it to last long-term. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's giving ourselves the time. I think two weeks is sort of doable, but long enough to really start to feel some sort of physical effects. And that giving ourselves time to feel the benefits. I mean, when you cut milk, what benefits did you feel? So I would say that immediately, I could honestly feel less inflammation. Like when I stretched, I could just stretch further and easier and it didn't hurt as much. (laughs) Um, When I would go run, when I would go do these things, it was just easier. And so, and then I just felt better. But again, since I had been, it had been in my diet for so long, when I cut it out, I was like, oh, well, I actually just feel better now. I, sh- I should have tried that earlier, but whatever. <laughs> but we don't know until we try. We don't you know. Don't know. <laughs> and we can yeah. be told all sorts of things and we still don't know until we try. Yes. And so that's why for everyone else that I you know, talk to or individuals that I might be coaching with, it's always saying like, I'm not saying you have to eliminate everything, but is there maybe just one thing that we can eliminate in the next three months? And then maybe then, you know, we'll see for the other things, but that one thing, if you feel better, carry on not eating it or whatever. And if you don't, let's, you know, we can tweak it. I mean, that's kind of what you're doing with, with your clients now, right? Exactly. And so it's all about wanting the results to last and understanding that change takes time and we shouldn't feel like we're in this mad rush to get there because again, a good example is um, like the biggest losers where, you know, people are on a crash diet. They're working out seven hours a day. It's just the worst example of how to lose weight. The absolute worst examples. Yeah, <laughs> and then they, then they throw them back to wherever they live and they're like, oh, and maintain that. And most of them don't because it's completely unreasonable to expect someone to change that many fundamental habits all, you know, within a few months, within a few weeks, within even a year, I think that's really difficult for some people to let go of. Totally, totally. And then, and it doesn't take into account all the mindset stuff behind it and, and the sort of extrinsic um, motivation to do it. It's just like, 
change what you eat. Here's a list of, you know, count your calories or whatever. Do six hours of intense workout every day. And nothing, it seems to me, nothing about what is it that you want? What kind of life do you want and how do you want to feel? Exactly. And again, some of these really that I can now look back at as common sense, unfortunately, again, as like a teen, I just wasn't thinking sensical at all for the most part. But, you know, you weren't told stuff or you were told stuff, but and it seemed to make sense at the time. I mean, the move more, eat less thing. Makes sense in theory. Right. It certainly makes sense in theory. Um, But of course, if we take anything to the extreme, it no longer works. And so I think that's what happens with a lot of individuals. It's like they go to that extreme and they're like, oh, I'm, you know, this is miserable. I hate this. It's like, I would too if I (laughs) tried to, you know, cut something out of my diet that I was really, really addicted to just one day. However, some people do that. And some people can manage that and more power to them. Absolutely. Yeah, each time, yeah sure. <laughs> so this is how you got into functional nutrition, right? Right. And so this is how I was introduced to functional nutrition. Again, when I started working with a nutritionist, when I started doing my business coaching, I was coaching an epigenetic nutritionist as well as a functional medicine doctor. And so that really kind of catapulted me into the functional medicine world and really taking a a good look at what I was still doing and thinking, how can I make this better? Because there's still so much to learn and there are still so many other steps that I haven't even thought of yet. So why not explore that? Wow. And And it's bringing that sense of curiosity with again with all of my clients it's like what would it be like for you to wake up every day without brain fog or fatigue or be able to manage your stress because as we all know we can cut sugar completely but if we have super high stress levels our body is still going to be out of whack and so it's always important to remember that diet very important. Mental health, very important. Oh, (laughs) yeah. A good diet can assist with, again, with any, you know, mental issues when we think of, again, stress and anxiety and those types of things. The diet has a lot to do with it as well. Oh, totally, totally. I mean, I've had mental health issues in my family for generations myself included and um, even though you can't you can't eliminate them completely I found that having a no sugar diet and and loving it you know it's not imposed on me in any way and eating fermented cultured foods and drinks that I make myself that is like the the two magic keys for for actually being able to cope with and even better than just cope with it actually be able to live with my mental health issues without them taking over my life. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because if we have, if we go throughout our day with these really high glucose spikes, then what is that going to cause? It's going to cause us to crash. It's going to cause us to be grumpy 
or angry or frustrated, like all of these negative things pretty much follow. Mm. And so if we're eliminating that glucose spike, we are actually eliminating a lot of those negative feelings that the crash was associated to. Absolutely. Yeah, that's totally been my experience for sure. Yeah. Mm. And so now you're in the field of functional medicine and more specifically functional nutrition and you have a coaching business is that right yes so two years ago is when I started morning tea coaching and it was honestly because of my background it was because I was really frustrated with our educational system and how we're just kind of led into this funnel of what we should do after high school what we should expect after college, all these things that were just nonsense and lies. Yeah. Um, As a teacher, I do apologize on behalf of the education system. But you're in Canada and I bet you you're doing it better than here in the U.S. I can only speak for myself. We're doing awesome. See, there we go. I will speak for the American education system. It sucks. (laughs) Um, And, you know, so it was, was, again, it was that frustration of, I can't believe I got to be essentially 30 before I finally got all this information that I should have received when I was 15. And so that was, again, the reason that I created Morning Tea Coaching was, I want to educate young women on all of the fundamental skills it takes to succeed professionally and personally. Because again, nutrition, if you're not eating well, you're probably going to work frustrated. You're probably not going to be able to handle a lot of stress or anxiety if you have a poor diet. And again, if you really hate your work, but you have a poor diet or you have a good diet, like there needs to be that balance. You can't just rely on, well, I eat healthy. I hate work. (laughs) I hate what I do, but I I eat my apple every day. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yes, it is. That's what I love about the functional medicine nutrition approach is that, you know, not only does it get to the root cause, but it's all holistic. It's all linked together it's not and and again you know not i'm not dissing regular medical advice that is more like they have certain expertise in different parts of the body but as you were explaining before your oncologist just couldn't give you nutritional advice because she wasn't specialized in nutrition and in my experience of the medical field I, i don't even think you need to be necessarily specialized in nutrition to ask these questions Mm -hmm. that I mean that's how I see it is obviously I'm not a doctor however if someone's coming to me and they're telling me that again they're waking up and they're having a 24 ounce frappuccino on their way to work and then once they get to work they're having some sort of candy bar whatever it might be and then the day goes on and it gets worse and worse and worse I don't feel like I need to have the MD behind my name to let them know. I think it sounds like a lot of the symptoms that you're having could be caused by your diet. Mm. Let's kind of walk through what your, again, 
daily routine is and see how we can maybe clean some things up or again, switch some things out and see how that goes and experiment. Obviously I'm not giving medical advice, but in my opinion, it's common knowledge and it should be common knowledge to everyone. Like no one should be without this information. Yes. Yes. It's crazy. What we think should be common knowledge and the opposite is actually common knowledge. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, podcasts like this and, and your coaching, that's how we get it out there slowly, but surely. Absolutely. And it's just, it's again, it's having the opportunity to share my experience with others. And again, recognize this didn't happen that long ago. <laughs> right. you, you don't have to go back to paleo days to, to you know, to realize oh, our whole diet system. Um, it's only been like 50 years or something. <laughs> exactly. So it's having that forgiveness. I mean, you know, we don't need to be hard on ourselves for not knowing knowing this earlier. Yeah. However, <laughs> however, once you know, please share. <laughs> right. Right. And once you know, you can't unknow. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we owe it to ourselves as patients, but as consumers and individuals and to educate ourselves. I sometimes I feel as a teacher, but also as a regular consumer, that we tend to be a bit passive. We've got this sort of white coat syndrome where we're like well I'll leave it up to the experts you know and I'm like no you have the power to educate yourself absolutely and more importantly again we'll just take that example of someone who's telling me they have you know really bad diet I would rather talk to them and give them resources than not say anything because I think to myself I don't have the authority here and then wait until they have such either bad symptoms or something else happens that lands them in the hospital. And now they're talking to the doctor. That to me is too little, too late. So, so it's again, for some people, it's like, well, I've, I haven't had, I haven't had that conversation with my doctor because I haven't seen a doctor in seven years. (laughs) Of course, those conversations aren't happening. Yeah. And if you are seeing a doctor, you see him for what, 10, 15 minutes how are they supposed to do a full background history? And then again, go through what your symptoms are for the last year and all of that in 15 minutes, it's impossible. Absolutely. So of course they're just gonna be like, all right, eat fruits and veggies and uh, exercise. And see okay. you in another seven years. See you in another seven years. And it's like, if, if people go see you, then, you know, they, more likely not to have to go see a doctor right I mean my recommendation is I think everyone should have a yearly checkup if you're not getting a yearly checkup you should no matter what your age get your checkup but again it's your responsibility to take care of yourself in you know in between the checkups (laughs) exactly absolutely and if people want to get in touch with you how can they do that So the best way would be going to my website, which is just morningteacoaching.com. If they want to schedule with me, they can shoot me an email at gabby at morningteacoaching.com. Morning tea coaching, because you don't drink coffee, right? I don't drink coffee, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. It's a lovely name. Thank you. Even though I'm English, I don't like tea. 
unless it's been fermented into kombucha. There we go. Yes, kombucha I'm a big fan of. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you so much for talking to me today, Gabrielle. Of course. Thank you. Wow, I'm so inspired by Gabrielle's story and by her capacity to ask the right questions both as a patient and as a consumer. And she did this really early on in life. So that's a great lesson for myself and for all of us. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I love the functional approach, this holistic approach that looks at the root cause of health issues rather than just pinpointing the symptoms. You can find Gabrielle at morningteacoaching.com and I'll add that link along with the show notes with this episode. And if you're also looking to reduce sugar, but you're struggling to know, well, what's left to eat, then head on over to my website, aftersugarclub.com, where I have some free resources for you about what real whole foods are and where the processed food companies hide those sneaky sugars. So if you want those resources, head on over to my website aftersugarclub.com and click on the tab what to eat. You'll find three videos there, one about which foods don't have added sugars, another about how to find these foods at the grocery store and the third video is about what's the deal with fermented foods because these are also whole foods that look after your gut health and gut health is central to your general health. And while you're there on the website at aftersugarclub.com, you can download your simple guide to getting more energy. Just click on the tab Simple Guide or download my five tips for getting rid of cravings. Whether you're an intermittent faster or not, cravings can really stop you from feeling free with your food. So download those five tips at aftersugarclub.com and you can get more free resources and tips on the Life After Sugar YouTube channel, the Life After Sugar Facebook page and come and subscribe to my Instagram account at mylifeaftersugar. That's where I post pictures of what I eat, what I do, sometimes some inspiring quotes or sometimes just pictures of our cat so that you can see that it's totally possible to live a fun and active life, even if you don't eat sugar. And if you're ready to get some personal guidance, support and accountability, so that you can let go of sugar and feel more confident in your food choices and feel healthier, because you've finally made peace with sugar, so that you get to a point where you don't need it or miss it anymore then the After Sugar Club is the place for you. Together with myself and a group of other like-minded health-conscious people, you'll get all the guidance you need in our supportive and friendly community so that you don't just change what you eat, you change how you think and how you see sugar so that you can enjoy the real sweetness in your life. Check it out at aftersugarclub.com. And if this podcast is inspiring you to take one more step towards your life after sugar, then could I ask you to please scroll down 
and leave the podcast a lovely five-star rating and leave a short review to let me know how this podcast is inspiring you to break free from sugar your way and find the real sweetness in life. Thank you for listening. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.